Will your anchor hold in the straits of fear when the breakers roar and the reef is near? While the surges rave and the wild winds blow, shall the angry waves then your bark overflow? Let's bow our heads for a moment in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you this morning that we can come to learn about you, to worship you, to offer ourselves in service to you. Right now, Lord, calm our minds, kind of like those disciples on that boat when the storm blew up and everybody started running around, well, panicking anyway. Help us to calm ourselves and calm those storms that may be brewing within us so we can hear your voice today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So after the service today, we're going to be looking at uh, sort of what's next for our, our congregation and some of the discussions that our session has been having over the last uh, while. And I wanted to take some time this morning to uh, look at Scripture. And you can see there's been a theme of this sea and storms and sailing. And, and uh, I was corrected by Ray just a few minutes ago that um, sailors don't use maps. They use charts, particularly pilots. Um, and, and that's true. They are charts because there's much more than just ground information. There's all kinds of other information that's included on a naval chart. Um, I wanted to take a look at some things that we find in this particular scripture in, in the gospel, especially, as I said, in the life of Jesus, and then we can use to assist us as a congregation in finding out sort of what the bigger picture is for us, but also what it is for each one of us individually in our faith journey, so to speak, in, the, in that uh, uh, trip, if you like, that we're on in our faith with God. And that's why I've entitled this sermon, this service, in a sense, naval training. And there's a lot that I could be talking about uh, regarding this. And the more I dove into this particular idea as a concept, the more I realized this could become a quite a lengthy sort of a series in that sense because there's so many aspects to talk about even just as I mentioned briefly with the pilot just the idea of a pilot and the history of pilots and and what they do specifically f to assist um, a crew and the life of a captain and that crew and the crew themselves and it just uh, opens up a whole a lot of analogies for us in our journey as I'm quite frequently known to do when I'm trying to understand terms that we uh, we use, and I've used this term just recently, and I've been thinking about naval training as well because you are all sitting in the nave, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, I wanted to find a little bit more about that concept. The nave, and according to Wikipedia, and that's my go-to place so many times, the nave is the central part of a church stretching from the western main entrance or rear wall to the transepts, which would be the wings that go out. We don't have those but coming up to these steps. And we face the right direction. We're east-west facing in that sense, in that traditional idea, and our main entrance is on the west side of um, the building. Our nave, as I said, fits the sort of standard description of that, but you want to understand where the word nave comes from. As I've mentioned already, it comes from the Latin word navis, which is the Latin word for ship, because if we look up, there's the keel. And um, in fact, in some Scandinavian and Baltic countries, they'll have a ship's model hanging up above to remind us that we are in fact setting sail and sailing with God in a journey through life. So really, as we look up, we can see the spars, we can see the keel, 
in, in our roof. And it's not accidental in that sense in original design um, to give us that real sense of being on board a ship and using this illustration of a ship is really helpful for us, I think, today in considering that bigger picture and the next steps for us as individuals. One of the um, central concepts that came out when I was uh, looking at this narrative in uh, Matthew 8 in the life of Jesus is also reflected um, in the life of the story of Jonah in the seeking direction. And I want to read from Jonah chapter 1, uh, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Very much like Jesus' story. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the wave, but Jesus was asleep. Seems to be a theme going on there. Maybe the first lesson we need to remember that it's something for the Sabbath day. Naps are good things. Jesus took naps, even at times when he shouldn't have maybe taken a nap. But naps are good. I like that. It would seem in this account, Jesus didn't even seem concerned about what was coming. I'm quite certain just based on, you know, reading and understanding a little bit about how things roll in, I'm sure that they knew that there was a storm probably brewing. And yet Jesus laid down in this small boat and took a nap. Jonah was hiding. That's a whole different case that's going on there. But Jesus was confident that God was in control and so he could just be calm, calm enough to close his eyes, calm enough to not even have to worry about what was coming. So our lesson, I think, that comes from this for us, when it comes to thinking about what's coming and where we're going, is not to panic. Because in both of those stories, the seasoned sailors, the fishermen that Jesus was with, and the sailors that Jonah was with, they all panicked. storm came up, and the first thing they did In Jonah's case, one of the first things they did was started throwing their cargo overboard. Now, they must have been pretty scared because that's throwing money away, literally. That's how they were being paid. They panicked and threw stuff overboard. In Jesus' case, the disciples came up screaming for help. We're going to drown. We're out in the middle of this sea, and it's going to capsize our ship. Jesus, don't panic. In fact, I'm going to take a nap. Now, we live in a time when church attendance in our country is at an all-time low, regardless of denomination, regardless of location, uh, regardless of uh, church building size, big or small. It doesn't matter how old or young the congregation may be. And I don't mean the members. I mean how long that congregation may have been around. And we live in a time when going to church is really just not on the list of priorities for so many people. In fact, as I've been reminding our session and I've been doing the research myself, the Barna uh, group that do a lot of these surveys, the average church attender, regular church attender, only attends church six months of the year. Now, that's an American study. But when you figure how many times people are either visiting family or on vacation, 
may be traveling, might be ill themselves, six months is an average. Now, yeah, there's people that come all the time, and there are people that don't come very often, but there's an average, only half the year, whereas not that long ago, everybody came every Sunday. It didn't matter what was going on. And if you weren't here to come to church, you went to church where you were. Not the case. It seems like it's quite the storm we're in the middle of when it comes to survival as a denomination, as a congregation, and as believers in God. But we have to remember in the midst of this storm, just like Jesus did and the disciples did and Jonah and his sailors did, God is in control of whatever the future may have in store for us. It may look very bleak. In fact, it it may be bleak. It's not that it just looks bleak. The ship, in Jonah's case, was breaking up a little bit. The ship that they were sailing in, that little fishing vessel, was taking on water. There was good reason to panic. But God was in control. If we take another really brief look at Jonah again, the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where, what is your country? From what are your people? He fessed up and they threw him overboard because he told them to. I know how to solve this problem. I've been running away from God. If you throw me over in the water, that'll save your lives. They didn't hesitate. They just threw him in the water. And as soon as they did, the storm stopped. The questions that these sailors asked of Jonah... And the questions in a way, the one question that the disciples asked Jesus are the kinds of questions we ask when trying to figure out what's going on with church and with the church's future. We want to know things, again, as the sailors asked, maybe rephrased slightly, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? Why is the church declining, it seems? What kind of work can we do to solve this problem? Where do we get more people to attend and engage in church? What is our local context? Do we even understand that? What people live near us and or might be inspired to come to our church? In Jonah's case and in the case with Jesus, the answer really at the bottom of it all was to remind everybody that God was in control. Jonah knew it. That's why he fessed up and said, throw me in the water. My God will take care of me one way or the other. He'll either kill me or he'll save me. And there on the Sea of Galilee, when a storm seemed to be threatening the lives of all on board, the disciples cried out just like those sailors cried out to Jonah, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And then Jesus said, why are you afraid, you of little faith? He knew that everything was under control. God was sailing this ship, even despite what it appeared. As we search out what God is calling our congregation to do, and what direction we as individuals need to be taking and how we can increase and better our spiritual journey, we have to remember always God is in control. This is no different a storm than what they experienced in that story. The boat's rocking around, the waves are splashing up, and if you've ever been uh, in a storm, and I'm sure Ray could recount many times when he's been on board ship and there's been bad storms. I know my father-in-law told me times when he was on the Corvettes and the waves would come along so high on a Corvette you couldn't see the sky. And they were terrified because a wave that size could just totally envelop a ship, a whole ship. 
And yet, it carries on. When Jesus spoke with his friends, the disciples, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't, he didn't tell them they were panicking and, oh, you guys are losers or any of that sort of stuff. He just simply reminded them by asking, why are you afraid? I'm on board. Everything's going to be good. God is with us. Despite the appearances, don't panic. Nothing untoward was going to happen because Jesus was right there with them. And they were astounded, it said, because this is the first time they'd actually seen him do something this big. He'd done a couple of little things, as I said in Matthew, healed some people. Okay, that's pretty fantastic in and of itself. But here they were in a life-threatening situation and Jesus stood up and put his hands up and everything calmed down. Dead calm is, I think, the phrase it used. We can be a little bit like Jeremiah, I think, when we're trying to understand what it is next. In the sense that we can feel like we don't know what to do. And that's what Jeremiah was expressing when God called him. But God reminded him as well, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Basically, as it says in verse 8, do not be afraid for I am with you. Just as he reassured Jeremiah taking on a task that he was clearly nervous and afraid about, not knowing what the future was going to hold for him, God said, I'm with you. I'm in control. And then Jeremiah argued, I don't know how to speak. I don't know what to do. God gave him an assurance that I am with you. When we don't know what to say or where to go or what to do, we need to remember that I am with you. God is with us. God is with you and with me and with the church. So very often in our personal lives, we struggle with this issue. Things may not seem to be going the way we'd hoped or expected. Trouble comes upon us at times. We find ourselves in the middle of a great storm of life. Maybe we get sick. Maybe someone close to us is ill. Maybe someone we know and love deeply has gone. We're in the storm. Matthew says a windstorm arose on the sea so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. I know I felt like that. I'm sure we've had moments, all of us, where we felt a bit swamped. We can worry that our ship, and look up, remember, ship, the keel. We can worry that our ship might be swamped or swept away by the storms. And we can see them all around us. And we can see more coming. It's natural to be nervous. But we need a pilot to guide us, just as I pointed out with the kids this morning, a pilot that knows where the safe water is. And even though it looks like we're sailing too close to the shore, the pilot knows that's where the deep water is. That's where the safe water is. To go out there where you think it's safe, there's rocks and shallows and shoals. The pilot is Jesus, and we need to trust him. And Psalm 23 came to mind immediately when I thought of that particular picture. He leads me beside still water, or literally, waters of rest. The whole idea is that the water is dead calm for these sheep that are coming before it so they can drink safely. There's nothing disturbing the water. There's nothing under the water to surprise them. The shepherd in that case knows that. The guide for them, their pilot, knows that. So we must remember the assuring words given to Jeremiah. Do not be afraid. For I am with you to deliver you. 
And lastly, Paul's words. Paul's words give us a sense of guidance, as I pointed out in the context of this letter. They give us something to work towards, to seek this path and to remain calm. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And that's not just, again, a platitude. That is not just that card you get with the two little people with the big eyes looking at each other loving. That's God's eternal love for us. His everlasting love for us. And when we're in that storm, it's that love that gives us the assurance to know what we're doing is right and that this storm too will pass. It's a guide map for us in so many ways and how we can interact with one another as we navigate the future, not only for this congregation, but again, as I said, for each one of us in our spiritual walk. Where are you right now in your spiritual walk with God? Where are you heading? Are you in a storm? Are you in a calm? Are you drifting? Do you have that rudder properly engaged? Is the pilot on board guiding you through those dangerous waters? Or did you leave the pilot somewhere else? I can do this on my own. We all need that assistance. And we all need to remember, ultimately, that no matter what the future holds, God is in control. God is in control. God's love is always with us. And God's love never ends. Amen. Friends, now is the time not only to uh, love in our words, but also in our deeds, through our tithes and offerings that we now present to God.